after the uh, refreshing uh, lunch in which um, before lunch we have come to the uh, building of the uh, pentagonal model we will continue with one more proponent and that is the last person in the hexagonal model over to the professor thank you Peter <clears throat> before I start this I can go back to the pentagonal model which is right there let's go through the protagonists represented by the five vertices of the pentagon the a t and directly below the a d everybody knows what this stands for what please answer those two vertices on the left and directly below this one and that one ATAD what does this that's right okay the right on the right side the vertical is E and I is missing right or it's there okay what does that stand for an inventor and <coughs> on the far left C is the latest addition is the capital now Peter could you join C with dotted diagonal to E and again C to I So this is the triangle, the very famous triangle of Mises. We talked about the various ways of generating or creating capital. Okay? And we mentioned four, the first one we ignored because this is ancient and no longer applicable. But if you join AT to E, the horizontal, the top horizontal one, that's a capital formation. We call it, what did we call it? What kind of capital? Entrepreneurial capital. The top horizontal side of the pentagon. The bottom horizontal side is also a partnership which is responsible for the formation of capital and we distinguish this type of capital by calling it R&D. And what does R&D stand for? Research and development. Research and development. I have treated it uh, <laughs> rather uh, fleetingly, but it's a very important type of capital. Even in, in rather small firms, you'll find the beginnings of that. Just take something as simple as a, a shoemaker's shop. 
working just a couple of people here. Okay? Uh, even such a simple little business would have R&D involved. Suppose it's a family business, okay? And uh, there is the, uh, the grandfather, the father, and, and two sons, okay? Now, the grandfather is the annuitant who already draws, uh, yeah. Then the father is the annuitant. And the two sons, one of them is the entrepreneur, the other is the inventor. And the capitalist could be an outsider, and I'm not talking about the capitalist now, but I'm talking about the uh, uh, the uh, second son, I. The second son would do something like going around and watching what other shoemakers are doing. And if he can pick up some new idea. Oh, here, this one introduced a different type of material instead of leather or a different type of material for the sole of the shoe. Then he will take note of that and tries to improve, first imitate and then improve on the state-of-art shoes which he finds in the market. Now that's a, a very simple example, but you see in germinal form it already has this formation of R&D capital. And then you can think of other examples where this is a very primitive type of inventor, isn't it? He is just trying to pick up ideas by watching what others are doing. But then there are genuine inventors who you t whom you take into the business because you realize that this fellow has a, a very good idea. It just needs time to be worked out. And then you hire him, and uh, his responsibility is to develop this invention of his to the point where it can be uh, incorporated in the business in a profitable way. So you see there are lots of different variations on the same theme, but in every, every viable and progressive enterprise, you will have R&D. It doesn't have to be a big factory with a big laboratory attached to it, but it can be simple or more complicated as the case may be. So this is the, uh, uh, 
you see, there's a, really a lot to say about this model, pent pentagonal model, which is actually so simple. And uh, the two types of capital formation inside. But then we added a third one. This is due to Ludwig von Mises, the triangle. And uh, I am in every way in complete agreement with Mises that this is the, in our situation, in our, at our stage of development, this is the most dynamic uh, formation of capital uh, because the talents and the cooperation of these three. I mean, this doesn't have to be one business unit. It can be uh, independent, but when you take those three, the capitalist, the entrepreneur, and the inventor, this is a very dynamic, very uh, efficient uh, formation of capital. Any, do you have anything to I, add to this? I agree. In fact, one could say that this is the combination of, on the one hand, intangible capital with tangible capital. And both combined are, of course, very potent. Which the, is the intangible? The, the intangible being the inventor and the entrepreneur. Why is it intangible? Well, for the, simply reason, for the simple reason that, of course, they are long future wealth. Oh, okay. Okay. I think the, the adjective future is, is perhaps more appropriate. But, uh, I mean, we, need, we are not quibbling <laughs> over... Well, in, intangible capital... Is, is a term that is often used in traditional uh, right. literature and it doesn't really combine very well but um, indeed the future long long they are long yeah. future wealth that would be a better term um, but you could just as well picture them as as those people that have yeah. intangible yeah. wealth um, <coughs> You need that. Okay. No, I'm not quibbling. I, you know. So there it is, pentagonal model. In a way, it's complete. But if you go through the various pairs, and there are other triangles you can form, like the two A's and the E, or two A's and the I. And I'm not going to go through that. I'm just suggesting that if we, if we did that, we took all the sides and all the diagonals and all the triangles which we could pick from this uh, from this uh, pentagon. In fact, let's just quickly say how many. Okay, how many sides do we have? Obviously, we have five. How many diagonals other than sides? So that's 
Okay, joining two points, but there are three diagonals. You cannot. It's actually two are drawn, and the third one. Is it three? No. How many diagonals can you pick? Just tell me which one. Well, A, B, and C. I. Don't draw it, just uh, point out. Okay, that's... And A, B, and A, D. So that's a diagonal too, now. A, D. A, D, A, D. A, D. You're already talking about triangles, aren't you? No, I'm looking at diagonals at this stage. I'm looking at diagonals. So how many diagonals? There's five in total. So once more, point out the five. One, two, three, four, and five. Yeah. Don't don't draw it. So you see, there are five diagonals, and now how many triangles? One is already drawn. Oh no, that gives you actually three, right? On the top left, the top. Right on the uh, bottom. This one, this one, yeah. and this yeah. one. But now, if you ignore those two diagonals and put in the two other, there will be another three. So anyhow, this is. Uh, I'm just pointing out to you the many different possibilities. And one, one question about the capitalists. The difference between the capitalist and the annuitant that the capitalist does not need current income, he has present wealth and he wants future wealth. Well, uh, this is exactly what I'm coming to. Okay. okay. So, Sorry. so we now want to consider first the five vertices individually, the five. The, uh, Sides individually. Now, this, these are already partnerships, but the five vertices are just, for the sake of argument, individuals. Okay, which doesn't have to be the case. I mean, uh, we could talk about a Newton combining into <coughs> a union. You see, or uh, entrepreneurs, not necessarily in a business formation, but they could form some kind of cartel and so on. So the vertices are could, could be individuals, but could be some groups. Okay, that's then there are the sides. Okay, and we pointed out some, but there are more. Then you can, uh, okay, so the top side is the important uh, formation of entrepreneurial capital, the bottom side, R&D capital, and uh, the E and I, if you join, that's like a business which needs to be capitalized. It's not yet ready to go. So that we <coughs> throw in the pot, Okay, so that's the five vertices, the five sides, then the five diagonals we throw into the pot, and we haven't counted really the triangles, 
but they also go into the pot. Okay? And uh, these are partnerships now. So all these are in a pot, and the question is, can they make exchanges among themselves? That's the question you ask. So that's quite a number already. We have 30 and possibly more. I, I haven't counted it. You might just find it entertaining to <laughs> count and come up with a definite number. These types of partnerships want to make exchanges. And then at one point you find that here is this partnership, here is the other, and that means uh, present wealth and future wealth. Okay? And uh, they want to make exchanges. And uh, this is how we brought in the capitalists. But there are other possibilities just like that. And the question is, can they make exchanges. Now, I think uh, Keith was suggesting an example where they cannot. And there are others. So something is still missing to make the capital market. This is now a model of a capital market. Quite an advanced model in comparison with the diagonal as we started and threw it away as completely uh, inadequate. It's too simplistic. We provided the provider of loanable funds, as the textbooks call them, and the users of loanable funds. Just two, you know, and they make the exchange. Bingo, here's the interest rate, you see. That, uh, that's, this, this is at the state of knowledge as far as university uh, courses on the uh, uh, capital markets are concerned. Very, very unsatisfactory. So we made improvements by stages. You see first the square and then the pentagonal. And now we in investigate at this moment whether this completes the capital market or doesn't. Uh, I mean, you, you could continue that forever because you could bring in uh, all kinds of extra services like insurance and this and that. We don't want to push it uh, to the extent that it becomes too complicated. In fact, we, we saw that some type of insurance, Louis pointed out, and I commend him for this, that uh, which, yeah, that one, is a type of insurance. But there are many other types of insurance, and, and uh, you could continue this ad infinitum, without end. But we just want to uh, pursue this to the point that now we can say, in every reasonable capital formation we find those elements. And I'm suggesting that one is missing. 
still. Why? Because we had this pot of various uh, combinations of uh, partnerships and take two of them, question uh, can they make an exchange or not. They should be able to, but they cannot because uh, something is missing. And now I'm suggesting it to you that what is missing is, is uh, put in the six uh, symmetrical to C and call this IB. What? Merchant bank. In the investment in, banker. Invest, hmm? or merchant banker or investment Merchant, banker. I'm sorry, didn't. Merchant banker. Merchant, yeah, okay, MB is fine. This is, spell it out, that you are talking about merchant banker. And another word is investment banker. This is different type of banking from the ordinary either commercial or savings bank and so there are different types of banks but this is a special type of bank okay. shall I draw all the lines? no, no, no now let's talk about, sit down Peter and then let's talk about this and the floor is open for questions, but in any time you please. We would like to talk a little bit uh, about the role of the merchant banker. So I introduced the discussion. Uh, I'm saying it to you, Peter, that the merchant banker should be able to meet whatever demand arises. I talked about this pot and all uh, the various types of partnerships are in it. And they may come up either with an oversupply of something or with a deficit of something. It could be a surplus income, could be a deficit of income, could be a surplus capital or deficit of capital. Uh, and the merchant bank banker should be ready to make an exchange and, and uh, uh, meet the demand, whatever is arising. Okay? So, uh, this is his role, to make this capital markets, so to speak, self-contained. And now I'm suggesting what his tool is. So the sixth, uh, sixth protagonist appears, the merchant banker, but he brings a tool with him. And uh, I'm suggesting that this tool is the gold bond. Well, I could say bond, but I am uh, emphasizing the fact that really this is valid under the gold standard, where the various distortions of irredeemable currency are eliminated. So, for short, I say bond, but 
you really think of a gold bond. What is a gold bond? A gold bond is a bond which pay, it pays the principal and the interest in gold. So really it's a bond in a gold standard system. Okay, so I won't emphasize the gold from now on, I will just say bond. So here it is, the sixth protagonist appeared with a new tool, the gold bond. <coughs> so now, uh, this means, what is, a, what is exchange, I'm asking you, or the floor? What exchange does the gold bond accomplish? On the one hand, it is wealth, the principal value, the principal uh, of the gold bond is wealth. And then there is the income, income represented by the coupons which are attached to the bond as they mature. Now, there are different types of bonds. One would pay interest annually, that's not very common, but uh, then it could be paid semi or biannually or quarterly. And then again, monthly. And we, of course, list here mortgages where it's monthly payment and various other possibilities there could be uh, bonds which pay interest daily that's not very common now weekly would be more common if you bring in labor because a lot of labor is paid weekly that would be a lower level type of labor. Higher type of labor is paid monthly. And these all fit in the pattern. Uh, in, a, in a way, there's a bond, bond involved, the exchange of wealth and, and income. So, uh, Could you mention examples where the merchant banker comes handily to help the various, satisfy the various demands which may arise? <coughs> Take a partnership and it has a need, a deficit of something but it has something other to offer. How the merchant banker can facilitate? I'm just asking for examples. I'm not asking for a complete list, but it's worthwhile studying and listing the older possibilities. I haven't done it, but I see that to give a complete story, one would have to list all the possibilities uh, which uh, uh, 
can be facilitated by the addition of the merchant banker and his very versatile tool, the bond. So, some, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to, I have a, a design for a more efficient air conditioning. <laughs> and what I need uh, finance. <laughs> so I go see the merchant banker who lends me money. And uh, I promise to pay him uh, regular income. Yeah. And, and that back in due course. So he finances my uh, enterprise. Why is this different from the role of the capitalist? I don't know. <laughs> oh, the, the, the I, don't, I don't fully understand. I'm looking forward no, to no. the capitalist. You can make, make he can finance it if provided uh, you can repay the loan in a lump sum. The advantage ah, okay. of the merchant bank banker is that he doesn't want a lump sum payment because he accepts a bond from you or you know. Or, you, so this time element comes in, and this is this goes way beyond the capitalist. And you see the need. I mean, we all have experience that we made a time purchase, either a car or a big ticket item, or a house when it's called mortgage, but it's basically a bond. You know, and uh, so that's a very good example. Time purchase of some productive uh, producer good or consumption good. In your case, it's a consumption good, right? An air conditioner is a consumption good. But now think of uh, uh, an industrial enterprise which the same way needs to finance some the purchase of some new machinery it just came on the market it formally is the same but now it's a different category because